You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolliou. Is it possible to make money and make a difference? You don't need to convince Phil White, the co-founder at Grounded World, a social innovation and brand activation agency, believes a well-conceived purpose can indeed enhance profitability over time. In fact, when he started Grounded in 2018 with Heidi Schonick, it was based on the idea that you could have one foot firmly planted in purpose and the other in profit. And as an award-winning B Corp and member of 1% for the Planet, Grounded walks the talk by accelerating impact for clients and the world, including donating 5% of its gross revenues to nonprofits every year. Grounded is driven to use marketing as a force for good, helping brands, nonprofits, and startups turn purpose into profit and create value by doing good. Phil joins me to discuss purpose, sustainability marketing, driving social impact, and much more. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Do you know what, Ken? I think I might have to hire you to do pitches for me that was fantastic i've never heard someone articulate what we do so clearly and succinctly so thanks for that that's good i'm glad i got it right so phil i know that you're especially proud about the fact that grounded world is a certified b corp that does come with great responsibility high expectations how does that status or should i say how has that status shaped your business and you as a leader yeah, great question. Um, I mean, I think you alluded it to in the intro, actually. So, I mean, first and foremost, it was quite literally the foundation for which we built Grounded On, even down to the name Grounded, um, actually kind of was inspired by this notion of trying to strike a constant balance, if you like, between purpose and profit, which is the essence of, of, of being a B Corp, really, and having one foot firmly planted in both. So, you know, you can stand tall and you can kind of, you know, you can start to tackle the the big juiciest problems that the world has to offer. So that was really, really where we started. And I guess that mentality kind of permeates everything we do right through to how we operate as a business and even the kind of clients that we actively engage with. Because unless we feel that they, they you know, they are committed to trying to maintain that balance, quite frankly, they just aren't for us because it, you know, it demands a certain level of introspection. It didn't deny, demands a certain level of governance. It demands a certain level level of commitment, and it's it's hard to navigate that unless that's part of your DNA. If 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 that kind of makes sense, in terms of how it kind of shapes shapes our business, yeah, it's been it's been profound actually. It's been profound in lots of different ways. Um, profound in terms of how we operate. So, um, aside from balancing purpose and profit, what B Corps are genuinely committed to to apps, to uh, best-in-class governance, very high standards in environmental and social accountability, and continuous improvement. So what I would say is those three things, government, governance, accountability, and continuous improvement, are, are the standards that we hold ourselves to every single day. And it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Because it forces you to make some pretty it forces you to make some challenging commercial decisions. Um, it forces you to kind of look at opportunities and decide whether or not you are the best place to respond to them or not. I, I would say 
over the past, and I had I actually had a look at the figures because I figured this question might come up, and I was just curious to know kind of where we are. But since we started back in 2018, I would say we've probably turned away a near on three million dollars worth of business because we weren't the right fit for the client, and because we didn't feel that we were able to show up authentically, or that they were necessarily in a position to be able to commit themselves to governance, <laughs> accountability, right. and continuous improvement. So it, it, it's hard. It's tough. It's also interesting for me as a leader. It's, you know, you've got to show up and you've got to kind of demonstrate those values every day. And, you know, particularly in the first half of this year, and I, I, I don't know if anyone else listening has experienced this, but it's been a tough year, I think, for this first half. Mm-hmm. And again, you've kind of we've had to kind of make some pretty tough commercial decisions about where we focus and who we work with and who we don't work with and how we even structure our own team. So it's been it's been challenging to make sure that we can govern ourselves in a fair and equitable way, to make sure that we can continually experiment and invest in the business to 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 keep continuously improving. But we can also make sure that we stick true to our values and we don't deviate away from being accountable to making sure we're, we're delivering business and we're working with clients that uphold the same standards as we do. So it's a constant challenge. It's something that every day I wake up and wonder, am I doing the right thing? Have I said the right thing? Have I treated our, our team fairly? Am I communicating clearly? Does the client truly trust and believe in in what we're doing? Has the process been clear? Are we remunerating? Are, are we billing them fairly? Are we, you know, all of those things? It permeates every single aspect of of of, of kind of what you do. But equally, it's also really thrilling and really invigorating because it it ultimately comes down to doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking turn up every day and tell yourself i did the right thing at every opportunity without anyone needing to kind of tell me i've done the right thing and you can you can go to sleep at night knowing that you have done the right thing for me that's the ultimate reward so i think that's ultimately where all that ladders back to for me that's great to hear i mean you you use words tough hard challenging it's nice also that it's deeply rewarding as you said you can go to bed at night knowing that you made a difference yeah so your agency is also a certified exponential organization uh, for folks who may not know. What does that mean? And um, how does that distinction benefit your clients? Yeah, it's really interesting. So when we first started, um, you know, coming out of a big, a big, a big global holding company, we were conflicted out of obviously talking to or working with anyone. <laughs> basically Mm. so we had to start really small and really scrappy and we also realized that if we were to start another agency based on the the, you know the current business model and you know recruiting a team and 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 build an engine and hire you know expensive glamorous premises etc etc that we just weren't going to survive because we just didn't have the revenue to support it nor actually frankly did i even believe that that was the right model to pursue so we decided i read a book called Exponential Organizations. Um, It's something that many clients, I think, are probably familiar with. I think it's actually the best-selling business book of all time, I'm told. Um, It's been written by a guy, two guys, Peter Diamandis, who's the founder of the XPRIZE, and a guy called Salim Ishmael. And really what it is, it's the secret code to how to build a unicorn. So how do those startups that are valued at a billion dollars before even, you know, turning a a profit, Hmm. how do they do it? 
And how do they grow so fast? And it's really a set of operational principles, let's say, embedded into this notion of a massive transformative purpose that allows you to, yes, structure your business and operate your business in a very agile and nimble and, as the word suggests, exponential way. And, you know, for those of you listeners that know the book, it's really all ultimately comes back to kind of maximizing margins, minimizing costs and 10xing your competition is basically the fundamental premise. So when we started, because we were conflicted out of, of all of those big clients, and honestly, we wanted to kind of create an alternative model. We wanted to do something which was a little bit more transparent and agile and nimble and fast. And, you know, dare I say, kind of less corporate and, and less convoluted. We decided that this was the right model for us. Um, and ultimately, what it boils down to is a, a set of, you know, 10 key principles all rooted in having a very a clear, massive, transformative purpose. But out of that, there's some principles like staffing on demand, leveraging assets, using interfaces, managing your business through dashboards, conducting continual experiments, running as much of your business as you possibly can um, from a data analysis and processing point of view through algorithms. So it's the fusion of, of technology, social impact and really smart business operations that allows you basically to operate at speed be very nimble be very agile be very cost effective so you're competitive you're able to offer your clients great value but you're also able to keep your cost base low so you can keep reinvesting back into the people and the business basically use that extra margin that would otherwise being paid for some swanky offices on Fifth Avenue, right? And reinvest that back into rewarding your people, making them feel more connected and continually going back to the B Corp, which is why it's all intersected, figuring out how you can continuously improve and continually run experiments internally to try and basically improve your operational capability. So that's really what's at the essence of it. And it's enabled us, quite frankly, to be able to, it enables us to scale up and scale down so we can work with big organizations like Nestle and Ford and the Lyca company at a global level. And we can scale right down to working with a small little startup nonprofit you've never heard of and everything in between without carrying a, a huge bench of full-time employees, without having to cover all of those costs, without having to pay for expensive premises, without having to carry, you know, you know, a really big kind of capex. It's, it's, it's something that just enables us to be able to operate really nimbly and scale up and down as, as we need to. Would you say this is a characteristic of many purpose-led companies? I would say if you're a B Corp, then going back to governance, accountability, and continuous improvement, probably indirectly you're doing some of these things, maybe not all of them, in order to kind of maintain that balance. But I think... Ultimately, because, you know, if you're purpose driven or, or sustainably orientated, really, you're, you're more altruistic. It's, le- it's more about stakeholder value than shareholder value. Ultimately, you know, you're not you're, you're kind of pushing up against the, the traditional homo economicus you know, theory or, or, or the capitalist economy. Then you're, you're automatically thinking about how do you give back? How do you reinvest? How do you support? How do you? So therefore, in order to do that, you have to operate very keenly, right? You have to be, have to have complete command and control over that in order to make sure you can divert as much of that good stuff back into the business 
so you can continuously improve. So what I'd say it's not, unless you've gone through the course and you've become a master and you've implemented your business, obviously you won't have those nuances and you won't really feel the stretch. But if you're committed to purpose and sustainability, the chances are you're probably adopting some of these principles anyway, because mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah. You and your co-founder, Heidi, have said that Grounded World lies at the intersection of purpose, commercial innovation, and sustainability. So as consumers look to business more and more to solve all the ills out there in the world, is it possible to operate with purpose without sustainability, without social impact at the core? It's a good question. Honestly, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and maybe it just comes back to kind of how you define, you know, how do you, how you define purpose. But, you know, the essence of kind of where we're going, you know, if you look, if you look at the headwinds of where we're going, we're moving towards having to be more transparent. Companies have to be more transparent. They have to be more accountable. Consumers are increasingly wanting to know more and more about where their products are made, how they're being made, who made them, <laughs> mm. and how they're being, you know, recycled and returned. The biggest existential challenge for many companies now is, of course, circularity. So how do we reduce waste and how do we keep items and products and materials in circulation for longer so they can be repurposed and reused and then remonetized? So if you think about that as the new economy, I don't understand how you could not <laughs> operate within that context without thinking about sustainability on the one hand, just from a functional material you know, point of view or social impact on the other from a human, a human point of view. Mm. And then, you know, when you overlay kind of climate change and on top of all that, yeah, I, 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 I would struggle. I would be interested to hear an argument that says you can operate without it. Let's put it that way. Because right, right. I'm yet to see how that's possible given what, you know, if you're tapped in and you see where the, the economy is moving and how, businesses and brands are are trying to figure out some of these fundamental existential challenges to their own business model. Uh, I don't know how you can, frankly. So yes, short answer is yes, I think they are intimately connected. No, I don't think they can be disconnected. And if they are disconnected, I would be smelling a rat. (laughs) Yeah. Phil, you you recently wrote a a really nice piece on your blog, I believe, talking about that there's still some confusion out there about what brand purpose is versus brand positioning. Why is that still an issue and how do you define the two terms? What's what's your recommendation? Yeah, thanks for referencing that. Yeah, honestly, that blog was was triggered by, and I know he's, I know he's controversial, he does this, but our friend Professor Byron Sharp, right, who's always got a, a thing or two to say about branding and marketing. But he came up with this phrase, which honestly, it just triggered me and got me really angry. So then I thought I'd have to kind of unpack it, remove myself from my initial <laughs> my initial response right. and then, you know, be the, be the strategist that I am and deconstruct it and unpack it and try and put it back together again. But he said that um, marketers are afflicted by a lack of self-confidence and pride. All right. Pretty general statement. And one of the main symptoms to have arisen from this is the idea brand should have a higher societal purpose Mm -hmm. beyond profit. Well, you can imagine what my reaction to that was, basically, kind of given what we stand for and the clients that we were with. But I think fundamentally, I think what he was probably driving at was even in that construct, he was himself confusing the notion of brand purpose and brand positioning. 
Because what I think he was driving at is obviously kind of brand position there as a commercial vehicle, a relative commercial vehicle to enable you to find a unique differentiated position in the marketplace to drive value, right? Mm -hmm. To commercialize your brand. Um, and as we already know from brand purpose, it's a balance between the two. It's about profit, but it's also about purpose. It's also kind of making a social impact. So the way that I kind of in my head think about it is that, you know, brand positioning, if you like, is relative. If you think the purpose, if you like, of positioning is, is to create, is to add value, create meaning for your product in a way that differentiates it from the competition. But the motivation behind that is purely commercial, right? Mm -hmm. it, and it's based on, if you like, accepted consumer beliefs, because without those accepted consumer beliefs and understanding your consumer and how and and, and how you position yourself within that space, then you can't position you, you can't position yourself and you can't be meaningful. You can't create a value proposition. So positioning is is about value add. It's based on accepted consumer beliefs. The ultimate objective is is about commercial return. Purpose, on the other hand, is is almost the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, I would say that you know a brand purpose, on the other hand, is 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 actually existential and and it's absolute. It's really about why do we exist? What's our reason for being? And actually, it's really based on the implicit beliefs of the stakeholders behind it. So, one of the one of the challenges and one of the things we often see is. Um, brands as they're trying to maybe define their purpose they'll reach out and they'll pull in perhaps more of the consumer angle or the consumer mindset than they actually need to without realizing actually the purpose is it really goes to the core of who you are and why you even operate in the first place so although the consumer point of view and understanding the market is is a lens it's not the basis on which to build your brand purpose and some of the brand purposes that i've seen which are the weakest you can tell have been written by a bunch of marketeers who've applied a brand positioning model to try and get to a brand purpose and it completely missed the point. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's kind of how they're in my mind, they're, they're kind of fundamentally different, fundamentally different just to kind of underscore that going back to the EXO that you mentioned in a previous question, mm -hmm. I'll just read you how the EXO community define purpose because it's actually one of my favorite definitions. And when we run our brand purpose workshops, I often start with this just to kind of help people understand what, what we truly mean by brand purpose. But they say in the EXO, EXO community that a massive transformative purpose or an MTP, as they would, they would say, describes a better future for the world or at least your industry or community. It doesn't specify how. It's not about you, your customers, your organization, your products or services. In other words, it's got nothing to do with positioning. <laughs> There's no you, we or us involved. You are not in the picture. It's not a marketing slogan. It's your North Star, but it doesn't restrict your organization from changing direction. It might excite and scare you and catch you in your throat. It matters that much to you and you might never fully achieve it, yet it's still worth striving for. A great MTP attracts the customers, community, partners and resources you need to make a dent in the universe. That's terrific. I think that's such a terrific definition of what a brand purpose is. And I, and I can tell you from our own experience, from recruitment, I've never had to pay a recruitment consultant. I've never had to reach out and actively recruit anyone. 
we always have people come to us and say, I really love what you stand for. I really love what you're doing. I want to come and work with you because I think we have a great ourselves. We have a great purpose. We, you know, we position ourselves in such a way as people instinctively know who we are, what we stand for and why we exist. And that in itself is magnetic. And I think if you truly find that purpose and you're truly able to kind of orchestrate your organization and authentically show up in an intersectional and integrated way, so the inside matches the outside and they're they're brought together in a, in a really powerful way, then that's where the magic happens. It's like a it's like an alchemy. <laughs> it's you know those two forces come together and something a third space happens and it's magical. It it, it really does happen like that. It's 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 kind of strange actually. Hello, Beyond Profit listeners. If you're looking to light up customer experience and growth with operations excellence, then you'll want to reserve your seat to Illuminate by Sella, a new in-person event happening September 26th and 27th at historic Wrigley Field in Chicago. That's right, Wrigley, home of the Cubs. Illuminate by Sella is presented by Sella by Randstad, an award-winning consulting, staffing, and managed solutions company for digital, marketing, and creative teams. Join key industry leaders for two days of dynamic talks, interactive discussion panels, and hot topic workshops spanning the future of work, talent strategies, optimizing agency partnerships, and mastering complexity. Among the many great speakers, you'll hear from Rebecca Messina, a former marketing executive at Uber, Bean Suntory, and the Coca-Cola Company. It's the perfect event for digital, marketing, and creative professionals. To register for Illuminate by Sella, please visit sellainc.com. That's sellainc.com. And now, back to the show. I am speaking today with Phil White, co-founder at Grounded World. Phil, creatively speaking, what are some of the biggest challenges around bringing purpose to life? Probably based on what I've just said is that purpose is very high level right? It's, it's sometimes quite difficult to say, okay, I understand the why, but now tell me the how and the what, <laughs> right? So if you go back to, I don't know, let's just think of, a, let's think of Apple's purpose, right? To create tools for the mind that advance humankind. All right, great. Now, if you gave a creative that brief and they knew nothing about Apple and they knew nothing about the products they made, it would be quite difficult, I think, necessarily to kind of figure out how to translate that into a into a into a campaign or a, or a very clear position or get to a really tight idea because what a purpose is missing is the what and the how. Yeah. <laughs> the what from fundamentally, what is your brand? What is your product? What's its point of difference? What are the reasons to believe? You know, all of the kind of goods, all the fundamental parts of brand marketing communication, and also the how from a communications point of view. So what we actually tend to do is our model in terms of how to get to help clients arrive at a, a transformation or a rearticulation of that higher level purpose and turn that into an activation platform is we always have the purpose, you know, as our as our North Star. But what sits under that is basically then what does the brand stand for? What's currently stopping someone from engaging or buying your brand? Mm -hmm. And what does the world need? And it's the intersection of those three things under the, with the purpose as that kind of emergent North Star, 
which is very much future focused that enables us then to come up with a kind of strategic or a creative proposition that can that you know that hopefully can inspire great thinking and great ideas mm-hmm. without the what and the how or without understanding what the brand stands for how people are currently behaving and and what the world ultimately needs i.e. the impact that you need to make that purpose just remains in the abstract and, and, and it remains woolly. So it's not surprising then that, you know, when you look at brand purpose campaigns and people go, well, brand purpose doesn't work, we can't activate it. Well, of course it doesn't, but that's not it's that's not why it's there. <laughs> right. So it's um yeah, it's that's one of the big fallacies, I think, that the industry, particularly our industry, keeps tripping up on is that, you know, it's not a silver bullet. But it's really important existentially to help a company define why it exists and to continue, you know, continue to make an impact over time. So how do you operationalize purpose internally? Yeah, good question. So one of the biggest things that we've noticed, and it was one of the first things we did, actually, is if you like that why of purpose is often disconnected from the way of profit. So and again, coming back to our B Corp stamps, you know, status and having one foot in personal, one foot in profit and standing tall and trying to create the balance, we realized that there was a misbalance between the two. And many brands and businesses and companies struggle. They, they in, The intention is there. They want to be per, more purposeful. They want to be more impactful. They want to bring the organization along with them. And they want to galvanize their culture around doing good. But when push comes to serve, unless it delivers a bottom line, unless it drives consumer demand, unless you can attach an ROI into it, or unless you can convince you know senior stakeholders that it, it's it's going to deliver the bread and butter, it sometimes doesn't track. And the reason is because it's really actually quite hard to connect the why you exist to how you operate in the marketplace with all those kind of everyday you know commercial forces kind of you know running at you at a thousand miles an hour and the demand to report on a quarterly basis and all these kind of well-entrenched accepted beliefs about how you should run a business sometimes run contrary to obviously kind of why you think you exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes hard to manage. So when we first started, we created this framework called, um, called the BBP called belief purpose and pursuit. Yeah. I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah. And, And basically what it does, it connects the why to the how. So the belief is, why do we what's the universal human truth why do we exist as a company and ultimately what are we trying to what impact we want to have and why do we think it's important and it's not consumers it's we (laughs) as an organization as a business as an executive leadership team so you know there's an intersection with personal values and personal motivation and, and and organizational culture but it's really getting to that vision and belief that underpins why the organization existed or exists in the first place then that leads you into say, therefore, why do we exist and what's the ultimate impact that we need to have, which is that purpose. And again, going back to that kind of definition from the MTP, it's not about you, your products, your services. It's ultimately about that bigger transformative impact that you want to have over time in the future. That's the why. Then how you operationalize that, you've got to pull it down, and we believe, into three things, into your product, mm-hmm. into your platform, and then ultimately, how do you measure success or how do you measure impact? So that's where the three pursuits come in. So imagine that you've got a belief purpose and you've got three pursuits. Pursuit one is your product. So what do you do? What do you create? What do you make? And where are your, what, what are your resources being invested in to either innovate or develop or research? So that's part one. That's the thing that you either make or sell. 
Two is your go-to-market platform or your go-to-market strategy. So what is the main platform, the main vehicle, the right mechanism by which your consumers or your community engage with you? And how does that effectively return the power back to them? So the platform is not, you know, switching on a, you know, a, a, a Facebook campaign. That's not it. It's about how do you create something of enduring value that brings people in, that allows participation, where they actually feel in control of the experience you're getting. And even just by asking that question kind of undermines a lot of the marketing and branding principles that we've all been brought up with, right? <laughs> because it right. kind of has to, it automatically turns that on its head and you have to think about how you create engagement and participation in community. And if you if you haven't got that platform and it doesn't exist, then you have to create one mm. <laughs> because that's the missing part. And then the third pit is the impact. Ultimately, what's the impact that you want to have? And therefore, once you've defined ultimately the impact that you want to have, then it's how do you measure it? So unless you've got those pursuits underneath the, the purpose, then you can't operationalize that purpose. It just becomes a post-it note in the boardroom, right? Or something that, you know, you, you know, you stick in the corridor or above the reception desk. It becomes a mantra without any meaning or, or a mission without any money, <laughs> basically. And, and that's, that's how we do it. And we've, we've realized that if we can capture that on a page and connect those, all of those parts and pieces together, then what you do actually have is a blueprint um, not only for kind of, you know, for commercial traction and con generating consumer demand, but you also have a, a blueprint for, for transformation. It becomes a it becomes a theory of change that you can operate continually throughout your business. There's no industry standard for purpose measurement, at least anyone that I'm aware of. Companies struggle in terms of what exactly should they be measuring? Should it be acquisition, retention of staff? Should it be brand value, reputation, and so on? What's your message to clients when they broach that topic with you? I think you need to kind of look at it at multiple levels. So again, it's thinking going back to the going back to the the BBP as a model is are we tracking against our belief? Are the motivations and the beliefs that reinformed what we do are they still true? Uh, in other words, it's almost like a bit of a UNA, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. are, are our staff still tracking against this? Do our, you know, our customers, our consumers, are they deducing this from how we communicate? And and how does that health track over time? From a purpose point of view is, yeah, are we still credible? Are we still ultimately delivering against our purpose? And then from a product platform and an impact point of view, yeah, it's it's the standard metrics. It's from a from a product marketing point of view. Is it selling? Sales. Yep. Is it driving innovation? You know, do we have a, a point of difference versus the competition? All of that, you know, all of that standard stuff. Platform is really about engagement and building a sense of community around it. So if you can see that by operating that platform, you're generating more feedback, you're getting more positive reviews, your net promoter score is going up. Um, all of that kind of good stuff, which suggests that you have a healthy relationship with your your consumers, your clients, and you see that upward trend, then you know that that's working. And then from an, an impact point of view, yeah, it's just making sure that you're tracking the right, tracking the things that enable you to, to show that you're actually having an impact. Right. That doesn't necessarily always need to be longitudinal. You know, one of the biggest challenges we say, well, how do I measure my impact when my impact won't take hold for 15 years? Well, you can measure the small things 
at an organizational level, the volunteer hours that you're, you know, that, 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 that your staff are doing or the amount of money that you're donating to a nonprofit or the amount of, uh, I don't know, the amount of thought leadership that you're pushing out there to inspire a community. These are all smaller measures of a, of, of a larger impact, but it's just making sure that you're clear based on your business model and your, your, your brand and your, your organization is what can we realistically measure right now? And how can we build that ladder up to that ultimate social impact that, that we're looking for? And sometimes that takes a bit of time, but it's worth going through because, you know, as we all know, very, very rarely does social impact happen overnight. It's rarely a pivotal moment. It's usually a very a series of very small steps that accumulate over time that in aggregate shift the needle and, you know, move to a kind of larger scale impact. So it's identifying those little steps and making sure those little steps are connected and you can kind of see the roadmap through those steps that often makes the biggest difference. Yeah, it's some great perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Lastly, Phil, um, you've shared some great insights over the course of this half hour. So I'm just wondering if are there are any case studies or examples that you want to speak to that really bring what we've talked about into focus. Actually, yeah, maybe the one I'll talk about is, is, is a <laughs> interesting. One, actually, it's a big global nonprofit that no one's ever heard of, actually. Um, so it's called Plan International. Um has and we know this because we did a we 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 did an awareness we did some awareness tracking before we started just to understand whether people have heard of this and I think in the US it's got something like five percent awareness six percent awareness versus um, other other organisations that focus on girls' rights and gender you know gender equality anyway Plan International big global organisation I think you know multi billion dollar global organization actually that supports gender inequality and and adolescents girls rights and they came to us with this notion that well they came to us basically saying that we want to increase our unrestricted fundraising which otherwise in other words how do we get more people to donate and support plan international outside of our standing you know standard donor driven or fundraising mechanics um, through corporate partners or donors or grant making or all that kind of stuff and we soon realized that well maybe one of the reasons why it's a struggle is because no one knows who you are and if no one knows who you are they certainly don't know what you stand for so what we actually wanted to do is come up with a a, a way of positioning here we go it's a positioning <laughs> plan international within the u.s market so the u.s consumer if you like or the u.s donor supporter knew who they were what they stood for and why they said why they should support them so in order to kind of unlock more unrestricted donations, it wasn't come up with a new fundraising mechanic. It was about how do you reposition your brand so people even know who you are and what you stand for, and they're going to feel motivated then to kind of support you. And actually, within the nonprofit space, this is the big, often the biggest challenge because it's very tempting, isn't it? A bit like we do in marketing, to rely on tactics, things that we know that are tangible, executable, that we can pay for, that we can see, that we can measure. Let's just do what we've always done. And then eventually you kind of figure out, well, why isn't that raising any more money? Well, because it's the definition of madness, isn't it? Because you continue to do what you've always done and expect the same result. Nothing's going to change. Right. So um, one of the biggest challenges we often find with our nonprofit clients is they don't really understand that they have to behave like a brand and think like a brand. And they still have to position themselves. They still have to have a point of difference. They still have to imbue what they do with meaning in a way that's relevant and compelling for their 
donors. Otherwise, there's no reason to support it or there's no reason to, you know, st- to stay on going. So we basically did a really, really, really deep piece of research. And I'm actually pleased to say that, in fact, next week it's been nominated for a Quirks Award, which is great, actually. Wow. Congratulations. Coach Community is is the kind of, you know, the award. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it, but it's the... It's the awards of the research community, because what we really had to do is we had to truly understand what is it like being a teenage girl in the US today? Big brief to crack. (laughs) And therefore, how can we get more, you know, adolescent girls to support Plan International and make sure that they resonated with their mission to ultimately support Plan and help support girls globally? So the brief was understand adolescent girls here so they can actually help support more adolescent girls globally. I mean, that's a pretty big brief. So what we had to do is go really deep into that. um, And we used social listening. We looked at kind of language and trends and conversations spanning five years back over social media and looked at some of those differences, some of those significant differences between language and thematics and how they'd shifted over time. We did in-depth interviews with adolescent girls we did mobile ed- ethnography where we, you know, we sent them some little tasks to do. You know, what are they doing? What does their bedroom look like? Who are they hanging out with at school? You know, just to really get a sense of their lives. And then we actually sent in a film crew to do some deep ethnographies over a course of a weekend with uh, six different girls around the US. And all of that came together then. And what we actually did is we realised that what, what we really had to do was actually help them not only just position Plan International, but really go back and say, well, what is your purpose? Because unless your purpose is clear and you know why you exist and the value that you can bring in the US market, then we're not going to convince, convince anyone. So what we actually discovered, and I'll, I'll just kind of, I'll kind of read this out to you as that BBP construct that mm-hmm. I talked through. But what we discovered is that in terms of belief, we, we, we arrived at this belief that when girls develop meaningful relationships with each other, they'll work together to be the change they want to see in the world, breaking free from the unattainable standards and stereotypes that hold them back. So what we were able to pick up from this research is all of those hidden standards, like the beauty standard, you know, pervaded through social media and a lot of the stereotypes that were embedded just into culture and daily life, which were kind of more or less invisible, but when we actually took a step back and looked at them, we realized that these were these were forcing gender inequalities. These were stopping girls from either naturally or authentically interacting with each other, or they were, you know, applying unrealistic standards on how they were expected to behave that were forcing a disconnection, not only from themselves, but from each other. <laughs> so what we actually realized is that if we want to be the change, that when girls are left to their own devices and can authentically kind of hang out with each other there's a kind of unstoppable momentum there's an unstoppable force it's kind of catalytic so we arrived at this notion of unleashing the power of we the unstoppable force that can be achieved when girls and engage and support each other and it doesn't sound that differentiated but when you actually kind of think take that purpose and then start to think about some of the things some of the barriers some of the systematic things that are actually holding girls back that were embedded into everyday culture that we don't see they then became our dragons and we called them dragons and these are the things that we wanted our girls to help slay (laughs) um so one good example is that we we ran a count so coming out of that we ran a 
campaign with Unsplash, which is part of Kitty Images, because we realized that one of the number, the number one search term on image banks when people are, are looking for images of girls is sexy girl. The second most popular search term is hot girl. Mm. You can imagine what the images that are coming up, right, which aren't representative of how girls, many girls see them, well, any girl, frankly, who sees themselves. And because the more they're searched, the more they use, then it trains the algorithm to search to serve up more images like those. And of course, it just kind of reinforces the bias and it reinforces the stereotype. So we launched a campaign called Girls, Girls Against the Machine, basically. And it, the idea was using Plan International girls themselves, engaging the Plan International's community of girls. We actually got them to write a brief and supply images of that they thought were more representative of how who girls are and how girls want to be seen. They were sent to the Unsplash and Getty Images community of global photographers, and they went out and they shot more images, and then they flooded the image bank with these images to basically retrain the algorithm to you know to serve up images that are much more much more representative of girls themselves. So that's just one example of a you know an activation or a campaign that tackled those stereotypes, but was really all laddering back up to this unleashing the power of we, because when girls got together and they were able to come together and be seen and be heard and represent how they wanted to be seen, you can change an entire industry. So that was just one of the one of the vectors that we started from. But as you can imagine now, we're on a roll. That's one of the snowballs, and there's a whole lot of other little snowballs that tackling different embedded biases and stereotypes that National will we'll start to tackle over the next few years. Phil White, co-founder of Grounded World, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. To learn more about his agency, please visit grounded.world. That's grounded.world. And if you would like to recommend a topic or a guest for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.